Hi, I'm Jay Thomas, and welcome to Bald Tires, powered by Shield Coatings. To kick off 2022, my guest today is someone who's made a name for himself on the international stage when it comes to building hot rods. He's competed for the Amber several times, even against Chip Foose, and he's had so many cars go through Barrett-Jackson auction, he can hardly keep track of them all. During prime time, no less. Today, Wayne Halabura joins me from Saskatoon to talk about how he became a car guy and his incredible process building hot rods from the design stage, how he's assembled a team, and how the whole thing comes together to build one incredible machine 34 times over. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the great stories with Wayne and I. Thanks for listening to Bald Tires, because when you make great memories, you make bald tires. Fall Tires is proudly presented by Shield Coatings. You scrimped and saved, checked the couch cushions and filled the swear jar. And finally, it's in your garage. After all those years, that car you've been dreaming of has arrived. Protect your hard work and investment with a visit to Shield Coatings. They can make sure your baby always looks as good as it does right now. Don't let road salt wreck your ride. Shield Coating specializes in undercoating and rust proofing for vehicles of all shapes and sizes. Using environmentally friendly wool wax, Shield Coatings can prevent rust from ever taking hold of your daily driver or the project car you spent countless hours working on. Looking to make sure that classic stays classy looking? See Chad at Shield Coatings for more details. Shield Coatings also features sound deadening undercoating to make your ride ultra quiet and paint correction and ceramic paint protection for the ultimate shine. Find Shield Coatings on Instagram, Facebook, and on Faithful Avenue in Saskatoon. Shield Coatings, anything to make your vehicle look better and last longer. Well, I've just had the most incredible tour of a garage that absolutely blows me away, and uh, that's kind of what, what I do with this podcast. I'd like to welcome Wayne Halibura to uh, Bald Tires. Wayne, thank you for joining me today. Hey, Jay, thanks a lot for having me on. Yeah, you know, I, I guess uh, for anybody who's listening right now, you've probably heard the name Wayne Halibura around Saskatoon, uh, you know, for several different things. But, but, but you've been known as the car guy, and, and you're, you're one of the true blue bleed cars kind of guy, right? Well, I guess, you know, uh, for me, it, it started as a, as a kid. Yeah. Uh, I was born in 1954. I'm uh, 67 years young now. <laughs> I know I only look 29, right? <laughs> That's right. But, uh, yeah, so I, I was born into a car family. Um, my dad worked for uh, CN Rail. Okay. And he, uh, we lived over on the 1200 block of Avenue G, and my dad flipped cars. You know, always had one or two for sale. And uh, the other big influence in my life with regard to cars was my brother, Vic. So Vic was a member of the Dragon's Car Club. And looking back, I was so blessed to, first of all, have a brother like that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, because I would go to car club meetings. I couldn't go into the meeting, but I could stay in the shop until the meeting was over. Yep. And then I was allowed to come in. And I, I remember some of the, the great, uh, locations. First of all, there was a, a car club called the Poor Boys Car Club on the corner of Idlewild, almost where um, there's a muffler shop, Minute Muffler. Oh, yeah. Okay. Was. So I think right next door is called Far Motor Bodies. And in that shop is where the Poor Boys Car Club had meetings. So I couldn't go into the meetings. And I remember peeking through the window, and I would have been probably five or six at the time. 
and there'd be, you know, some cars in the back and on all these guys with slick back hair. I mean, this was, remember, this would have been 61. Just, yeah. You know? Just after and, the 50s and yeah, all that. I mean, yeah, And so I was lucky that my brother took me around um, to the different car club meetings. Uh, I remember the Dragons Car Club that was out um, in the North Industrial area. Um, and they had a really neat pinstriped furnace in the clubhouse <laughs> with a huge stone fireplace. And, you know, it's funny the things that you remember. I don't even know who pinstriped the, the furnace, but I'm sure if you get some of the older guys on, uh, they'll know who did that. <laughs> Probably, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that that was kind of my beginning uh, because, uh, for example, the early car show days for the Dragons, mm -hmm. it was held at the arena uh, downtown. 19th Street, and, yeah. And one of the, one of the uh, sponsors was Handicraft Supplies. So Handicraft Supplies had a, they were a, a store, model cars, trains, toys, and Handicraft Supplies was like going into a business that was owned by a hoarder. The aisles were <laughs> literally two feet narrow and the ceiling was stacked from floor to ceiling with inventory. And it was owned by um, Mr. Ignatoff. Um, and it was just a fantastic place to go because it was like you would walk around the aisles and you'd see model car kits stacked and you'd go into the back and there'd be train sets and it was just, you know, skateboards, just if there was a current toy, that store had it. So they sponsored the car show. Okay, cool. And so of course, two or three days before the show, all of these toys would show up at our house. For display at the car show. And there was slot cars. I remember my brother would set a slot car set up in the living room and I'd be playing with the slot car set. And it was just, it was like the greatest thing growing up as totally, a kid. Totally. And then of course, you know, going to the car show and seeing, seeing the cars and it was just, I was so fortunate to have my brother Vic um, because he is really the reason why. I have the love of cars that I, that I do to this day. So how much older is Vic? Is Vic? Vic is 13 years older. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So he's, uh, he's so in his early eighties. You'd never know it. And, um, he's not in cars anymore, but uh, he's into golfing. But, uh, Vic was a hell of a car builder. Um, cool. I think the first car that I remember that Vic had was a 37 Lincoln Zephyr coupe. <laughs> and, uh, I'll show you a photo of it later on on my phone, but, the car was, it was two different colors. At one time it was green, and but it had this crazy black and red tuck and roll interior. Oh, neat. That is just out of this world. And I believe it had a either a Cadillac or a Buick nailhead motor mm -hmm, in it mm -hmm. um, with multiple carburation, uh, chrome reverse wheels. And that car was just, I could sit in, I could lay in the trunk and close the trunk and I could actually... It was like having a bedroom, like a little cave, because <laughs> the trunk was so big on that car. And of course, everything was chromed. I think the dash was chromed, and it had like, you know, four more gauges that you would have ever needed. You know, there was back in the day where you'd have, you know, you know really only need four. Well, this car probably had eight or nine, but it was so awesome. And uh, yeah, so that was my early beginning of, of, of cars. I'm getting and, into cars. Yeah. So um, do you, let me ask you some some 
some dad questions like so do you remember some of the cars he had did those did those influence what you were you know interested in the stuff no, that he kind of brought here no, and there my dad my dad wasn't really a I wouldn't say he wasn't a car lover um I remember a lot of the uh, shoebox 49 to 51 Fords oh yeah yep and one thing I do remember this is I mean it's not a it's a car story but he had bought this 56 olds camper conversion if you can imagine <laughs> cool. but i'm telling you this camper can i don't even i don't know who did it where he got it from this camper conversion was out of this world the quality was unbelievable and of course you could just imagine it would have a bunk bed above mm -hmm. the, the roof of the car then the whole back was gone and it was built you know very professionally and i remember he would take us on fishing trips oh, cool. camping and i still remember going th up through pa and coming through, uh, you know, we'd leave after supper, and by the time you get up there, the lights are going, uh, the lights are dark, and, and uh, the lights going through town, flashing off the chrome in the dash. <laughs> and I'm in my pajamas. Uh, you know, I was probably maybe nine or eight at the time, <laughs> cool. and it was just such a cool car um, that I still remember that that to this day. So my brother would be able to probably tell you more details of of what it was, but uh, that's one that I do remember, and I also do remember him. Um, having a 64 Comet station wagon, black <laughs> with red interior. And uh, I'll tell you a little bit of a story about that later on. But uh, that's, I guess that's a couple of cars that my, my dad had. Tell me about your first car. Your first car, not your first hot rod project car, your first car you drove. Okay. Uh, I lived at 1236 Avenue G North and 2nd House from the corner. And there's an old gentleman at the corner beside us who had a blue Volkswagen van. I don't even know how many windows were in it. But, <laughs> and it was just, and it, it sat there for years and years and years. And so one day I, and he was a friendly old gentleman. And I said to him, you know, would you consider selling that van to me? And, you know, kind of back and forth. And I ended up buying that van. So at the time, um, I didn't have any mechanical ability, but I don't even know how we got it running. But that was my main vehicle for a number of years. Cool. And I ended up moving to Estevan, Saskatchewan, mm -hmm. uh, working for Morabini Hitachi, and that was my vehicle. And I remember, this is back in the hippie days, and I picked up every hitchhiker from Saskatoon to Estevan, Keeping in mind, we, it started out with two of us, and I think we had about eight in there, plus my buddy's 750 Honda <laughs> in the back of the van. So that was our that was my trip to Hestevan, and that's my recollection of my first vehicle. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. phenomenal. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Um, you know what? It's time for the Shield Coatings question of the day, and this one is related to what we were just talking about, but tell me about the first time you put a dent in a car, dad's car, yours, something like that. You know, I don't, oh, I'll, I'll tell you a story. It wasn't about a dent in a car. So my dad, uh, my mom passed away when I was young. My dad got remarried and he had this 64 black Comet station wagon right. in the garage. So there was another vehicle that he was driving and they would go out to Humboldt on the weekend quite often with my stepmom. Mm -hmm. So I would have been about 14 at the time. And so 
me and my brother were the only, my stepbrother were the only two guys at the house and we didn't hang out together because he was a little older than me. Yeah. So as soon as he left, it was a Friday night or Saturday night, <laughs> I knew where the keys were. <laughs> so my buddies and I would load up in that thing and go roaring around town. And I remember coming underneath the Victoria Bridge, <laughs> you know, and it seemed like I was doing 100, but I was probably only doing 30 or whatever. But I was going fast enough that the hubcaps blew off the riverside <laughs> of, the, of the car in this sideways drift. <laughs> and we got a car full of people. And it's like, you, know, you can hear this noise, this rattle, rattle, rattle. Like, what the hell? I pull over and it's dark out. And it, I walk around the car. And, Shit, the hubcaps are gone on the one side of the car. <laughs> so now we're all out of the car, walking around the riverbank in dark trying to find the hubcaps. Luckily, we found the hubcaps. Get the car home. Get the car cleaned up, you know. And, and I remember my dad always saying, Geez, I thought I just filled this thing up with gas. <laughs> so anyway, Dad. Uh, That's what happened. God bless you. Uh, he's not here anymore. But uh, yeah, I was. Uh, that was one of my moments where, uh, yeah. No I, dents, but. Uh, no dents. No dents. Mine actually happened. This is because this is our first, first uh, time asking this question. Uh, I'll answer it too. Mine actually happened. I was with my dad. And I remember we had a. Uh, a spot at a lake called Lac La Peche, which is just north of Blaine Lake. And um, we had a little tent trailer on the, on a site. And we just kind of go there in the summer. And we'd, instead of trolling the trailer around, we just would kind of go to the same spot. And we had gone into, we had towed the thing up there, and the hitch was still on the car. In the back, we, have a, we had a 99 Taurus station wagon, forest green. And I think I probably had my learner's license. And I always was dying to drive. Like, I want to drive. So I remember when I was 15, I got my license, my learners. The first day I was 15, I went into to SGI and got my license. And I think I drove right out of the parking lot at SGI. But anyways, we were, we were camping away. And we, I don't know, needed something. So we drove back into Blaine Lake. And I drove, of course. And I'm always begging my dad to drive. And <laughs> we went to leave this little store, this corner store. They're still, still around there, really good cinnamon buns. But anyways, I am looking, go to back up, bang. What? And my dad just hits the roof. And he's a guy who's really quite calm most of the time. He's not really that excitable, but <laughs> he, uh, he jumped pretty far. And we got out and looked, and there was a pole behind the car. And I'd, we had kind of not noticed it when we had parked, but I'd backed up far enough hit the pole, but like, thank my lucky stars, the hitch saved me. The ball, it, I hit, I managed somehow, like the pole was only four inches wide and I managed to line that car up without seeing it because it was too short. And all I did was smack the ball of the hitch. Oh, so I God. didn't, I didn't even, no damage. didn't damage the car. There might've been one little scratch, but like I was so lucky. Yeah, that was, that was my first, uh, first dint in a car oh, it's God. not my last but yeah, yeah that's for sure <laughs> when i was a kid i i couldn't wait like everything i wanted to do was about cars you know i want to drive so bad i want to just you know if it was if it was 
playing. I was playing with cars. I had one of those little pedal cars, you know, like, of course I had a bicycle, but I always wanted to ride the pedal car around because it was a car, not a bike. And uh, like it, I, it was everything cars. It, I wanted to drive as soon as I could, everything like that. When, when you were a kid, was, would you say you were the same? Were you just dying for that, that license? No. Um, I started out, I guess my car career started out building model cars. Oh, cool. And I was super, super, super involved in model cars. There was a guy in our neighborhood by the name of Doug Ferguson. Doug was a few years older than me. And Doug was beyond a master model builder. Hmm. He would, you know, take cars and wire the motors and and make the pistons go up and down. And the, I mean, and, and this was like super advanced for its time. And, and um, I remember um, when the funny cars and dragsters came out, I built a lot of those uh, models. And I remember clear cut, clear, spraying them with lacquer and then color sanding them with toothpaste. Because <laughs> you, know, you put all the decals on yeah. and then you'd, you'd, you'd clear these things and then you'd sand them and then polish them. So I, I spent probably a good three years honing my model car building skills. And then what happened was um, Hattie Crest Supplies opened up a slot car track. Oh on the third floor of the Modern Laundry Building in Saskatoon. Cool. And it was called, I think it was called Pow City International Raceway. And there is a group of guys, um, Bob and Jerry Lucky, um, Dave Kaster, who is still, I think, involved in uh, drag racing at SIR, um, Mark McGregor. Uh, so I'm going to say probably from around 11 until 14, I got deep into slot car racing, 124 scale. And um, this is back in the day where you could either buy a car and just run around the track. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But this was a big track. These were like 140 feet long, eight lanes, high power. And now you bought components. You could buy an armature and some magnets and different types of tires and gears. And then you'd make your chassis out of piano wire. And I remember Bob Lucky, Till this day, he's still a big slocker racing guy at my age. And he was so good at building these chassis. So I think looking back at my model building skills, yep. as well as my slot car building skills, kind of set the stage for me. Um, um, fast forward when I really got into building my first vehicle. That's right. right? Because uh, the, the number is you've built how many hot rods? Uh, 34, 34 hot rods Uh, and, and not insignificant cars. We'll get into a few of those in a minute, but you, you had told me when we, you know, kind of first started this, this evening that you're, uh, you're kind of one of those attention to detail guys. And I I certainly find myself in that category too. (laughs) So I think, you know, that personality trait with the experience you had, that is what, you know. It, it shows in the stuff that you've built, put it that way, you know? Well, thank you. Thank you. It, yeah. I, you know, I just, so I guess when I started building, um, I was, um, uh, I was working at the racetrack in the summer with Les Howard, I think the track owned, but up in 1966, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Saskatchewan International Raceway. Yep. Um, Les Howard, whose parents had, uh, one of the drive-ins, uh, was oh, the force behind the, cool. the racetrack. So I remember going out there to my first race with my brother in the back of his early 60s bubble top, and he <laughs> raced it. 
And I think he won that night. And that was the moment for my brother where he became addicted to drag racing. Oh, really? Um, and he was very, very good at it. So that exposed me being at the track to a wide variety of race cars. I mean, in the heyday of SIR, I can remember some of the top fuel guys coming up from Southern California. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeb Allen, Papillon, um, Wheeler Dealer, uh, Bubble Up Funny Car, uh, Gordy Bond, and uh, of course, Ken Ox um, uh, was out at the track. Um, the McCurdy brothers. Yep, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Boschman family. Um, so SIR, um, I was fortunate enough to be there at the beginning of that, although I was quite young. It still left an impression on me. Um, I'm not a drag racer guy. My brother cured me of that addiction. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I was fortunate enough to, to travel with him. Uh, he raced a super stock IA car uh, for a number of years, uh, did quite well, ran Division 5 circuit. Uh, so it was a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, that's kind of my background, I guess, before I really started building. And um, my first vehicle that I ever built, I was uh, I was working at Ken Ox's muffler shop, which my brother was managing on 8th Street. And I remember going and asking Ken for a raise. And he said, no, I'm not giving you a raise. Okay. <laughs> so I quit. I left and I, and I found a job in Lloyd Minster. And a guy was building a brand new muffler shop. Um, Ken Pipe Muffler was called. The guy's name was Jim Reinhardt that uh, approached me. And so I moved to Lloyd Minster, opened up the shop for him. And, and at the time I had a 65 Chevy GMC pickup. So while I was up there, I ended up building this truck. So for me, that was my first kind of semi-complete build. Yep, yep. You know, it was bodywork and paint and a motor swap and wheels and tires. And I built a, a little wood, wooden camper sh- built out of shakes at the back and had Dale Edegoffer upholster my seat. Oh, cool. There's not much to it on those trucks. And, you know, I had some chroming done by provincial plating. And so that was my first real, I guess you could call it build. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And... Um, I stayed up there for about almost two years, I guess. And um, then I moved back to Saskatoon and um, I got a job with CP Rail. My brother was working for CN mm-hmm. and was, my brother had two jobs pretty much most of the time. He, he uh, was working for CN and he worked for, for uh, Mindy Landa over at Landa Auto Body. Oh, okay. And he was a wheel alignment guy. Yeah. So he worked the midnight shift as a railroad worker and then he would work at Landa's. Holy. And my brother was building a 57 Chevy at the time. Um, and then he was approached by uh, Dominion Motors to go racing. <laughs> so he had a, a very good reputation. Um, I think he was uh, the uh, stock eliminator for... A year or so and they approached him uh to maybe come and uh have a shelby race car cool. so anyway um you should probably get vic on this because he would <laughs> he would be able to tell a lot yeah. a lot of good stories so i'll just leave that at, at, at that point and so i ended up um moving back to saskatoon and vic i ended up uh opening a speed shop up bought it from ken ox so that was uh, called Midwest High Performance Center mm-hmm. on 644 Broadway Avenue. And Vic changed the name to Action Auto Center. So I was working on the railroad. Vic had the speed shop. Now, keep in mind, 
that was in the heyday of speed parts. Yeah. Like literally. Uh, we used to buy trailer loads of Krager SS wheels, <laughs> Formula One tires, rocket racing. Why? Like, I mean, a semi-trailer load of a product for the season. You can imagine that was a lot of product. Yeah, no kidding. And, you know, N5015s, 15 by 10s. I mean, you had six sizes and you covered everybody. They're all multi That's wheels. right, yeah. So I would work part-time uh, for my brother while I was a railroad worker because you had a lot of time off. And so I ended up getting into a second location with him. Uh, so I opened up over on uh, Circle Drive. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was the time where I also started to get into building a hot rod. I bought a local guy's 32 tutor sedan that was a started project. And when I went to look at it, I remember Rick Davis in town who used to have uh, Gibson photo on Broadway. Mm -hmm. He had a little Model A pickup and that was my first kind of hot rod friend, I guess. And he said, well, you should, you should come and look at this 32. And, and I'll tell you, Jay, I didn't even know what a 32 Ford was. <laughs> yeah. You could have a lineup of cars and I wouldn't, I wouldn't been able to pick it up. But when I went over there, I fell in love with the car. And so I bought it and then I became deeply immersed in 32s. So I built that car, uh, drove the wheels off of it, took it down to some runs in the States. Cool. And uh, out of Western Canada. And uh, from there on, it, it just kind of really grew for me. Um, I ended up building about a car a year. Holy. Um, so what I would do was, um, with the speed shop, we always had to get parts. So the freight was quite expensive. So what I would do is I had an enclosed trailer. I would order a bunch of stuff from Southern California. Yep. I would drive down. My brother would sometimes be racing, sometimes not. And then we would fill the trailer up with parts. And I'd usually throw a chassis in, buy a bunch of my hot rod parts. And I would also tour the shops when I was there. So I would go to all the shops. Oh, man. You know, TCI was just starting. My customer number of TCI is 54. <laughs> I'm, I'm an early guy there. Um, so I would go to, you know, like shops like Moon, TCI, um, Chuck Lombardo's California Hot Rods. Um, and, and everybody was just open hey you know where are you from you know come on in we'll show yeah, you what's going yeah. on you know pete and jake's i mean there was there were no boundaries nobody was secretive of what they were building and i remember um wanting to go to boyd coddington's shop so i you know i found the address and uh phoned over there and i said i'd like to come and tour your shop he said and the guy that answered the phone was dick brogdon so Dick and Melba were from Wisconsin and Dick was managing Boyd shop at the time. Okay. And they were just salt of the earth people. Oh, awesome. So anyway, um, he said, sure, come on down. He said, sometimes he's pretty busy. You might not be able to see him for a while, but yeah, come on in. So I remember going down there and that, that was it for me. I was at the mountain. Boyd was so, so, so <laughs> far ahead of its time in his style. Uh, almost like Arlen Ness is to motorcycles at, at a certain period. Mm -hmm. so, and he was just a great guy. I mean, he was this large, gregarious guy. He had his big beard on and flat, bright Hawaiian shirts. <laughs> and um, so I bought, I bought my first set of wheels. I was building a 32 Vicky at the time. And he was just starting to get into uh, billet wheels. So he took me over to the wheel shop. And there was a guy there by the name of Alan Budnick. 
Okay. And Alan Budnick, of yeah. course, is Budnick Wheels. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of guys came out of Boyd's shop. Alan Budnick was one. And the other guy that owned Billet Specialties was the other guy. And those two guys were there at the shop. Wow. Anyway, I ordered some wheels. Uh, he he uh, delivered them to me. But that kind of started a relationship up. Uh, so every time I would go down, usually two or three times a year, I'd always stop in. And I would take photos of what he was building. And that Vicky that I built, for example, there was a lot of ideas that I copied on some of his mm -hmm. cars. Mm -hmm. You know, how the steering column was done, the hidden hinges, how he made them, uh, the striker door locks, the bear claw latches that he was using, how he flush mounted the windshields. Um, I, was, I studied top chops, um, hood sides. Uh, you know, a lot of cars, uh, the hood sides were louvered on the older cars. Right, well, yeah. On hot rods, they smooth out the sides. Uh, so just a lot of different things, uh, how he mounted his exhaust systems, um, what he used for rear ends and suspension components and brake cylinders. So I gained a lot of information by just touring these shops. Yeah. Um, and so that kind of got me down the road of, through that smoothie period, I'll call it. Yep. I think I built, I don't know, half a dozen cars in that time frame. And, and once you go through one of those shops, um, cars are built differently. First of all, they don't have snow. They don't have any gravel roads. <laughs> yeah. Okay? Yeah. It's not like Saskatchewan. No. And the roads are nice there too. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so now they're detailing the inside of the cars. You know, you crawl underneath the car and you think, Jesus. <laughs> I, I, I got to do that. Well, for me, I didn't think of the practicality of it. And that was probably thought, something that was just never done here. Yeah. Right. It, yeah. You never Nobody really, really did saw that. a lot of that. No. I mean, on a full blown show car. Yeah. You'd see it. Right. So for me, I just, I kept on wanting to improve the quality of my cars. And I just kept on wanting to get better and better and better and more detail. And it got to the point where it really consumed me. Um, to the point where I thought, okay, I want to build, I want to see if I can compete on a larger st stage. So I ended up, um, deciding I was going to build a car for the Amber. <laughs> and I met a guy, oh, actually a couple wow. of guys, um, Bill Bourbonnet and Maurice Cahill. Bill and Maurice were, um, big onto the show car circuit, the ICA show car circuit. They had built a number of substantial cars. Um, and I went out and met them and these two guys were like, they were from Mars. Like the, the, the fabrication skills were, I mean, they didn't buy anything. They made it. They made it. And yeah. this is back, this is really before the days of, of, um, uh, computer program CNC machines. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, 3d printers, CAD cam. This was before that. Build it by hand. Yeah. So I ended up, uh, you know, they said, Hey, well, what do you want to build? I said, well, I want to build a 32 Roadster. I said, okay. He said, well, that's a car that's been pretty much done. You know, what can you do differently? And I thought, well, I had a look at the, uh, the Boydster that Chip Foose had designed, um, who had built it in a high boy version, mm -hmm. as well as a, as a full fendered version. And that was very, very, very stylized. And I thought, you know, I'd like to build something like that, but just take it back a step. Um, so I had Bruce Williams in town do a rendition and I drove out there and we sat down and we talked about, okay, what do we want to do here? So we came up with, uh, uh, Billy was a chassis guy and Maurice was the body guy. Mm, okay. So Billy ended up designing and building the chassis for me, uh, fully independent, 
built from nothing. I think the only thing we bought <laughs> were calipers and a center section. That's it? And yeah, of course, ball joints, but yeah. that was it. There wow. was That was pretty much everything else we made. Holy cow. And so now you got to remember that you're not having a CAD program to design how the body's going to fit on the frame. So nope. basically you got to draw it up as best you can, get the chassis mocked up, the mm -hmm. frame rails, and then start with the body panels to see if the lines are going to be right. And then, then you can, the suspension is kind of a bit of an afterthought after. Yeah, it's right. about how the car is going to line up. So that was a 10 year project. Oh, wow. Um, and like, I'm talking 10 years of everyday stuff, like getting things made, uh, valve covers made, oil pan made, trans pan made. The, what's the theme for all of the accessory pieces? I mean, it was just on and on and on. And I had, you know, multiple different machine shops um, trying to make things up. Well, I was going to ask, where were you able to source the, the making of this stuff? Was, was a lot of it done here or did it have to go across the whole um, There was continent? a little bit of it, a little bit of it done here. Uh, most of it was done in Winnipeg because Billy had a machinist there that he also used. Okay. Uh, that could make some stuff up that we would kind of draw up that Bruce would kind of sketch, you know, the different designs on the rear end cover, the waterfall that would flow through into the valve covers and into the air cleaning system. So anyway, it was just a lot of manual drawing back and forth. And, um, so finally I got the car here. It was a body in white, you could say, mm -hmm. uh, like a roller. And then, um, there was a guy by the name of Byron Thiessen. Mm -hmm. Now Byron was... At the time, I don't think he might have been even 20. He was working for Sean Ryan over at Ryan Auto Body. And, and Sean is a very, very good painter. Sean is super OCD. And I thought, well, you know, Sean will be the guy to paint the car. Mm -hmm. So anyway, he and um, Byron did a lot of the body work on that car and a lot of prep and polishing. I think Sean did most of the painting, but I, I think that's correct. So if I'm wrong, Byron, make sure you correct me next time you see me. Um, so anyway, they painted the car, and then we took the car. Uh, I did all the motor, uh, all the chassis, all the assembly in my garage. Um, and then we took the car to Iowa to get upholstered. Wow. Uh, picked the car up about two months later. And um, and we got ready for the uh, Grand National Roaster Show. And... Uh, that was an unbelievable experience. I bet. Hey. Uh, I was standing in line uh, waiting to get my pass, and this guy's standing beside me, and he uh, he says, "Oh, are you are you displaying?" And I said, "Yeah, I'm. I'm uh, got that thirty two Roadster over there." And he introduced me, and he said, "Well, my name is Doyle Gamel." <laughs> so Doyle Gamel is like I didn't know who Doyle was. So Doyle is a member of the uh, LA Roadsters. If you look up the Doyle Gamel Coupe, you'll see that he has a very historic hot rod background. Doyle's probably in his late 80s now. And we had a we sat down, we had a, a long conversation. He said, well, we're looking for new members for the LA Roadster. Yeah. Would you, would you want to, would you consider joining? I'd sponsor you. I thought, wow, this is pretty cool. <laughs> said, well, let me, let me think about it. He said, do you have a, hot, you have a Roadster? And I said, well, I'm actually building a 32 three window or 32 uh, high boy coupe and he, or a high boy. And he said, well, perfect. So anyway, um, uh, at the show, I think we did very well. Um, and um, after that, my plans were to tour that car around. I was going to do all the car shows. And after that show, I was burnt out. I was completely mm -hmm. done with the car. I didn't want to clean it. 
I didn't want to show it. <laughs> I just, I, I was, I was, it, it just drained me. Yeah. So when I got back home, I thought, well, now what am I going to do with this car? Like, it's a shame to have it just not do anything. What, what years are we talking about? When did you start building it? Okay. So I think 2014, 2014, 2015 was... No, that's too early. 2012. 2012, you started, yeah. started so to think, build it. Yeah, so I think 2002 was when I began the car. Oh, okay. And then 2012 is kind of when the car... When it, everything over, went yeah. went through, right. So anyway, with that car, um, it was just, it was a work of art. It was, you know, people say, well, why would you build something like that? Well, here's the thing. There are horses that are made to jump. Mm-hmm. And that's all they do is jump. Yep. And they travel in an airplane around the world and jump. And can you ride the horse? Yeah, you could. But that's not what it was meant for. Mm-hmm. So th- when you compete at these these levels, uh, that car is not meant to be driven. Could it be? For sure it could be. But that's not the purpose mm-hmm. of the car. Mm-hmm. The car was meant to compete. The car was meant to be an automotive work of art. I was just going to ask and you all about that's this. That's what it is. Right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. I was so, just going to ask you, did, did you ever drive it? Did it ever move under its own, own power? Oh yeah. No, no, no. The car was completely drivable. But it's the thing is, you got to remember, the rotors were chromed. So <laughs> like we had Teflon brake pads in there because you didn't want to mark the, you know, so because yeah. you got points for all this stuff, right? So was it a drivable car? In reality, you could make it drivable, but you'd have to change some things. Right. Okay. Gotcha. So anyway, um, the car sat in my garage for about seven months. And then I thought, well, I wanted to build a house and I couldn't afford to have this car. I thought, well, I'm going to turn that into some cash. I can put it towards my build. Sure. And so anyway, I, um, I decided to go to Barrett Jackson, Las Vegas and watch an auction. I'd never been to one before. So I registered to bid and I sat there throughout the whole auction and I watched the process because you hear all the stories. Yeah. They don't give the car enough time. They short shorted the car. They did. The, you know, anyway, so I sat there and I watched the whole auction. And after the auction, I walked around the back of the ring because I had a bidder's pass and Craig Jackson was walking down the hall. And I said, excuse me, sir. I said, um, I'm considering consigning a car to your auction. I said, who would I talk to? And he said, he said, um, I want you to call this guy, he gave me his number. He said, I want you to call Gary Bennett. He says, he's our uh, VP of consignment. He says, give him a few weeks because it takes time for these auctions to wind down. Mm-hmm. I said, great. So anyway, I remember, I think it was about a month later. It would have been about, that was in September. I think I called him around the middle to the end of October. And I said, hey, Gary, I said, I've got a car that you might be interested in selling. I said, I'm going to be taking it to... Um, uh, an auction to, to sell, and I'd like to send you some photos of it. He said, okay, yeah, send me send me some shots. Okay. So I emailed him, like, I immediately emailed him about eight shots of the car. And within 10 seconds, he calls me. <laughs> he said, Wayne, I know the car. I saw the car at the Amber. Uh-huh. He said, I would be honored to sell that car for you. Wow. And I remember one him, him saying one thing that really rung the bell for me. Because I said to him, why should I consign it with you as opposed to somebody else? He said, Wayne, there will be nobody on planet Earth that will not know about that car. <laughs> and I thought, okay. That did it for you. Yeah. 
How did so, you- so anyway, he he and I struck up a great friendship to this cool. day, and um, I became partners with his wife, uh, selling and buying cars, uh, Gary <laughs> Jackson. So anyway, it cool. turned out to be a great story. Um, cars, the cars sold, uh, did quite well, and uh, I ended up buying this lot that we're living <laughs> on and building a house. And, and building a house. And the car, actually, I'll tell you where the car went. The car is owned by... Before you get to that, okay. would you mind sharing me with me how it did at the Amber? Um, yeah, it did very well at the Amber. Um, the deal with the Amber is you go on stage, um, there's, I think there's 10 final, there's 10, 10 finalists. Yep. So you're on stage and you, when you compete for the Amber, you're not competing with anybody else. You're only competing with those 10 people. Mm-hmm. So they choose who's going to be in the, that, that group 10. of 10. Yep. Okay. So anyway, you all go up on stage and the thing is you don't want to win an award. As soon as you win an award, you're out. Because it gets ticks down to, you know, best interior, best paint, best body, ah. best this, best that. Yeah, yes, yeah, yes, yeah. yes. I see. So anyway. By so, elimination, I say, yeah. I, I get what you're saying. So yeah. anyway, you're standing there and you got Chip Foose and you got, I mean, like Jesus. I mean, <laughs> and he's just an average guy too. Yeah. You know, he, we all get up and put our pants on the same way. It's just <laughs> everybody has different skill sets, right? So anyway, we're going down and down and, and all of a sudden he wins an award for something. And I thought, okay, well, that means he's out. And then it's going, going, going. And then I win an award. I say, shit, I'm out too. <laughs> so then we each won a few, a few awards. But so anyway, um, I, I did very well there. Um, and it was, it was one of the years that, uh, that I thought that I never had any preconceived notions of winning. You just go there and you take it in. And enjoy and it. And yeah. what do they say in drag racing? Run once you bring and hope you bring enough. Right. And, you know, obviously I didn't bring enough. But that's just that's just a subjective thing, and and that's just the way it is. So, anyway, the car uh, did well. Um, the car ended up selling to a guy, and that was a funny story. So, I didn't really. That was my first time I ever had anything for sale at Bear Jackson. Yeah, and it was a completely new experience for me. So I had a good location, and I just I asked a couple of guys before the auction. Actually, I asked Dwayne Meyer over at Boyd's. I said, "Have you sold cars at Barrett before?" He said, "Yeah, I sold a few." I said, "Well, what do you do?" He said, "Well, I get these little cards made up." Because people are walking around looking at cars and they can't remember when they get back to the hotel and what they looked at. Mm. So this was a reminder. So I thought, oh, okay. So I had these little cards made up and I'll actually give you one before you leave tonight. Oh, awesome. And so it had, you know, all the details on the car. And I stood by that car for a week, handing out those cards. And this one guy came by, there are two guys in particular. One guy owned the Ferrari dealership in Los Gatos. And he <laughs> came by at least 15 times. And he said, I'm buying that car, I'm buying that car. Great. Good. He says, by the way, he says, yeah. it's my birthday when your car is going across the auction. I'm buying that car. I thought, well, this is good, but you need somebody else to bid against him. No kidding. Right? What, good too. When, what day did it go? Like it what? went on Saturday primetime. Oh. So anyway, I forget even what afternoon it was. I think it was maybe a Thursday. It doesn't matter. This young guy comes by. He's got a little bag and he's got a list. He's got a clipboard. And he's walking around and he's just, he's kind of walking around the car and I said, excuse me, I said, uh, would you like to step inside and I'll let me show you the car? He said, yeah, I'd love to. And I says, are you here buying some cars? He says, well, I represent a buyer. He said, we're looking at adding to our collection. I said, oh, I said, um, is the 32 on your list? He said, no, it's not. He said, but they're out playing golf. I want to make sure he comes by and looks at it. <laughs> so anyway, he bought 13 cars at Barrett to add to his collection. Whoa. 
And have you ever heard of a toy company called, or RC control company called Traxxas? Yes. He's the guy who bought the car. And it's still to this day in his collection. No way. Yeah, great guy, super guy. But anyway, so yeah, so it got down to the guy in the Ferrari and him and he ended up buying it. (laughs) When When you were set up there, like, you know, leading up to the auction, I haven't been to Barrett yet. I know some of our listeners have, but just share with me what, what it's like as an experience being there, especially as a seller. Like, are you out, are you outside in tents? Are you indoors? What does it, what does it even look like? Um, okay. That's a great question. So Barrett Jackson is, is held at the, um, um, the West, the, it's an equestrian center. Yep. Okay. Okay. I think it's called West world. Um, just outside of Scottsdale just off the freeway and there's some coverall systems um, that is used for horses. There's big polo fields, mm-hmm. uh, horse fields out there. And um, so when Barrett rolls into town, they put all these new, all these other tents up. Then they have a big master tent ring and then there's wings off the tent. So the premium cars are in that area. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then, then the, the lesser, cars of price range go in other tents they're grouped kind of you know the 30 to forty thousand dollar cars are in kind of one grouping mm-hmm. and, you know and it kind of builds so um if you've never gone you've got to, if you're a car guy or if your dad's a car guy or if you've got a if you've got some friends it is an unbelievable experience to go and sit there and just the cars the people I mean, if you're a people watcher, it's, yep. it's just a great, great place to go uh, because there's, I think, seven or 800 cars that go across the block. Right. I think uh, 99% of them are no reserve, so they're all going to go. Oh, wow. And uh, yeah, it's just a, it's a great experience. So as a seller, that's another story. So it's, first of all, it's a long day because you're you going to get up and clean the car. Yep. And standing there and you're there for 12, 14 hours a day. Just, you're just meeting people. Yeah. You're so shaking hands and kissing babies. Kind of, and kind of like a, a, a politician. Yeah. I was going to say, or, or like a big version of dragon. So it's the same thing we do at the dragon's car yeah. show, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. On Easter is, you know, I've had my car yeah, there exactly. and, and you yeah. stand there for 12 hours and talk to people. Yeah, right. Yeah, so were, yeah. was your car, was that, that, you know, Ford you did, was that in the main arena? Yeah, it was in the main area. Yeah. Um, so we had a, we had a good spot and, um, you know, you meet a lot of people. You just don't know who the person is. Right. You have a lot of people that they stand and they don't even come over to you. They'll just stand there and walk around the car outside and they don't want to approach. So you just never really know. And then the day of the auction, first of all, you don't sleep. <laughs> the night before, forget that. Um, and so you're just, you know, you're, this is no reserve. I mean, you don't, you have no idea. And it's just... All the emotions are running. And as you get closer and closer, now you have to take the car out of the spot. And then they take and they push it down to the staging area, Mm -hmm. which is probably, you've seen it on TV. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, And you get into that area. And then you have all the people interviewing you, you know, for speed and for velocity. And and, and then just different, you know, it's just, it's it's such a surreal experience. You just... You know, I, I'm nobody special here, man. I'm just a guy. Like yeah. Anybody, I'm just a, a Ukrainian struggling through life here. <laughs> but anyway, it was just, you get to the stage, and then at that point, you know, there's nothing more you can do. Yep. 
You've done it and all. I remember myself and my wife were there and I'm standing there, you know, and then, and it starts, you know, and then you think, okay, well, what's your number? What, what, what number are you going to be happy with? Mm-hmm. Right. And the, and it was like, okay, like we're getting close. And then it's like, Oh, you got to the number. Okay. Yeah. And then it's just like, Oh, and it keeps oh, going. Oh yeah. And it just, <laughs> it just, you know, I was, I was at the right place at the right time. We had the right bidders there. And the car went to a good home, and I, and I think it's a good car. I mean, hopefully it'll be one of those cars that'll stand the test of time, I guess, whatever that means. That's pretty cool. So that was that, was that car. What, what number of car? We said with 34 cars altogether. Where does that fit into the 34? Ooh. Is that 20, well, 28 a, or something? Yeah, or I think number about 29, maybe 30. Yeah, okay. Because um, I think I did a pace car... I get my cars mixed up with what I did or what I what I did. Oh, I think I did my three window uh, after that and my high boy that are in the garage after Okay, that. yeah. So yeah, probably right around 30. So 34 cars, two of them you just mentioned in the garage. Mm-hmm. The rest of them have, you don't have anymore? You've sold? You have some I more? Couldn't, I couldn't afford to have them. Um, you got to remember back in the 80s and 90s, I mean, I had no, my dad was not, Yep. A wealthy guy. My mom was a seamstress. Um, uh, so one, I was just a, a working stiff man. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, like the rest of us. <laughs> when I started, when I st- I'll tell you the story. When I started out my speed shop. Okay. So my brother and I were partners. Yep. I had to come up with $10,000. Okay. My brother came up with his portion. Yep. I went to my bank. They would only give me five. Mm-hmm. They were not risk takers. No, no. My girlfriend at the time borrowed me five and I paid her back. Yeah. I paid my bank back. <laughs> yeah. And the guy that bored me enough inventory, uh, the same guy that bored Ken Ox inventory <laughs> to start his speed shop up yeah. was Brian from um, Speed and Custom in Winnipeg. Oh, cool. Brian Softy. And that's how Ken Ox got his start in the speed business. Yeah. And so when I was starting out, Ken said, you should go see Brian. He'll, he'll threaten you some inventory. Yep. And I phoned the guy up and drove out to Winnipeg. And that, so that's how I got started in business. Yeah. So I guess that makes sense. Makes sense. You know, you talked about some of the early ones, but one basically funded the next one, right? Sell yeah. it. Yeah. So then I was, I would get to the position where I'm going to build a car and well, Hey, I could maybe make three or $4,000 in this car. Yeah. So you sell it and then you take those, that money and you buy parts for the next one. Yeah. And, um, and it's sort of that trading, trading a, uh, trading a a paperclip for a a house, right? That, that old story where you kind of started with something small and just grew, grew, grew until you had a car that went to Barrett Jackson, right? Yeah. You just kept on investing in the car thing. And, uh, the other car, I guess my last car, um, was probably, I'm not going to say my, 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 my most special car, but it's probably my favorite. Okay, take me and that through is, it. That is that 33 Dry Lakes Coupe that we built. So it was a funny time in my life. Um, I had sold our business, Montana Homes, and I, they asked me to stay on uh, to, uh, to work with them. Right. So I had had this vision of building one more car, and that was it. One more. So... Uh, now I was a member of the, um, 
associate member of the LA Roadsters, and we, you, mm-hmm. as an associate, you go down every year, and one of the deals is you have to work the show. So I got involved with uh, the commercial display guys, and you know, setting up all the commercial guys with a group of other members, and so I had a chance to meet a lot of neat people. So I ran into Alan Johnson from Johnson's Hot Rod Shop. Oh, cool. Gladson, Alabama, Alan and Angie. Terrific, terrific people. So we started talking about, you know, what I wanted to build. And uh, so if you go back into the history of, of hot rodding, the Dry Lakes comes to mind. And there was a couple of cars, um, the Edelbrock Coupe, and the Pearson's Brothers Coupe were mm-hmm. two. So these were severely chopped, pinched nose, 33s that um, they had built and were very successful. And that car always struck a chord with me. Mm-hmm. If you were upstairs, you saw the model sitting on the table. Yep. And so I was scrolling through um, for sale ads on the internet. Mm-hmm. And I came apro- across uh, a guy by the name of Hollywood Hot Rods, Troy Ladd. Troy built some fantastic cars, Amber Winners, just a great individual. And he had on his website this 32 high boy with the rendition and it said available. I thought, hmm, maybe somebody <laughs> ran out of gas. Yeah. You know? Right. Yeah. Things change in people's lives. That's right. Yeah. Because I didn't really want to start from from square one. So I phoned him up and he said, no way. And he said, hey, thanks for calling. He said, but that car is just a rendition. We're trying to find a client so we could build it for him. I said, okay. Ah, okay. I said, who did the rendition? And he said, Eric Black, E Black Design. So I Googled Eric, got a hold of him and struck up a conversation and I said, Eric, here's, here's what I'm thinking of building. And so he uh, got engaged with the project as well as Bruce Williams. And Eric, it was probably six months of drawings between Eric and Alan to come up with the look of the car, what the car is going to look like. So... Now, this is now of the age of CAD machines, mm-hmm. 3D printers, Three. five axis Haas. Yeah. So, now remember, we're building a retro looking car here, something that looked like it came out of the late 40s, early 50s, right after World War II. Yeah, yeah. But, and it's going to have a flathead motor because it has to mm-hmm. for that period. Exactly. But, Everything else has got to be kind of period looking, I guess. So Alan started working with drawings and there was a guy by the name of uh, Bob Helen out of Assiniboia that had a 33 three window coupe. It was an old timey hot rod. Mm -hmm. And Bobby wanted to build a new shop and I needed a body. (laughs) So Bobby got a new garage. (laughs) And Wayne got a 33 <laughs> three-window coupe body. Yeah, so, go. Bobby, if you're listening, the project would not have happened if it wasn't it wasn't uh, for Bob. So, thanks, Bob. So, anyway, that's where that car started. And 
at one point I had five machine shops in North America making parts for that car at once. And again, Byron is without a doubt, Byron Thiessen of Creative Concepts mm -hmm. is without a doubt the most talented individual I have ever, ever met. Yeah. His metalworking skills, his fabrication skills, his painting skills are beyond what you could ever, ever imagine. I've seen stuff, uh, yeah. you know, and it's, it does absolutely blow your mind. Yeah. When you go to the shop, there's no sign out front. There's no hours. It's just, it's just a metal building. Mm -hmm. And inside is elves, four of them working <laughs> on some of the most outrageous projects you will ever, ever imagine. Yep. And so I was very fortunate to have Byron um, build that car. Um, and he basically built everything except from the belt line up. And even from the belt line up, there wasn't much left. <laughs> and then also remember, this is in a course of approximately 15 months. Wow. So if you're talking building a significant car in the U.S., that coupe that I looked at as a project mm -hmm. just got finished. And that's oh. over 10 years now. Wow. So Byron is, he gets at it. He gets it done. So it was, it was, uh, when I said earlier, it was an interesting time in my life. You know, I'm still working, um, for a large corporation now yeah. and, uh, not for myself anymore. And now I'm trying to build this significant car. Yeah. And so as it got started, um, we had previously done a, a charity build uh, called snake bit for the yep. children's hospital. And that was really my introduction to uh, seeing what Byron skills could do. Hell of a truck. Mm -hmm. uh, 2014 Street Truck of the Year. Yep. All the magazines. Yeah. Great. Snake bit make it made its way back to. Made its way back to Prince Albert, Prince Saskatchewan. Albert, right? Yeah. Gord Broda of Broda uh, Construction. He's uh, got it in his collection. Generously bought the truck. And uh, yeah, it's in his collection now. Gord's on my hit list to get onto this podcast oh, okay, too. Okay. So well, he's, hopefully, uh, hopefully I'll get to, get to meet him sometime as well. But Yeah, he's, uh, got, a, he's got a great collection. He's a... He's a certified uh, car guy as well, <laughs> yeah. big time. So anyway, we got that project going. And then um, because we were invited to uh, be with Ford at SEMA, mm -hmm. uh, they took notice and uh, they invited us to uh, unveil the car at SEMA. And that was a pretty big deal. Mm -hmm. uh, biggest deal I've ever been involved with. So... Um, the car, I remember the car getting finished at 11.30 in the morning. We loaded the car up immediately after and jumped in the truck and trailer and drove straight to, uh, to Vegas nonstop. Um, and this is in the end of October and yeah. the roads can be awful shitty. It was luckily we were, they were fine. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that was just an unbelievable experience. That was just beyond, beyond. So... Um, we also took, uh, when you go to see him, you never ever think you're ever going to win anything mm -hmm. because you just, there's, there's the, the cars of the world are there. I mean, you've got every, every, every major builder yeah. in North America at that show. And so we were fortunate to win the uh, Ford Excellence of Design Award by, by wow. Ford. Um, we won um, uh, McGuire's Award. We won uh, um, the... Uh, 
uh, Good Guys Award, Gold Gold Award, and that's just like you're just like how can this happen? That's how could so this cool. ever happen? That's so us? cool. So it was just you know, I'm so fortunate to be able to have an idea and get people like Byron, like Bruce Williams, mm-hmm. um, like Alan Johnson, um, Curtis who made our wheels. Uh, Eric from Piggy's Rod Shop did a lot of machining for us. A uh, small little machine shop out in Osler. Mm-hmm. You know, it gives opportunity for these guys to really showcase their talents. And that's, I think, the biggest kick for me is is to, to putting the group together and seeing what collectively they can do. That's really the joy for me that, 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 that gives me the joy. What's so impressive is that in, if you want to say it, little old Saskatchewan, we have that world-class talent, you know, and it, it just takes, say, a project like something you've done to kind of put it all together like you talk about and then put it on the world stage. And, and you realize, holy shit, we can compete on that stage with guys right here yeah. in our province yeah, yeah. who are just as good, if not better, than a lot of the other ones. That's incredible. That's yeah. so cool. It's almost like a little, you know, un- untouched hidden gem if you want to say it that way you know where the the car you know world doesn't really go hey we got to get a car from saskatoon you go oh yeah let's get a car from la you know let's like you kind of think of it that way yeah and, and, and you it'll, know, it'll it was, change but and it was just you know it was so neat byron is a super humble guy mm-hmm. and i think all of us we just went there and we're just you know you're kind of like just <laughs> average guys yeah and you feel like you're in disneyland and and, and you don't go there to win the awards. You just no. go there to just be, I guess, be accepted by your peers for mm-hmm. what you've done. Well, and that's, pretty, that's pretty much it. It's a pretty humble way to look at it, though. Yeah, you know, that's, that, pretty that's pretty incredible. Really, you know, I mean, I don't have any, I hope I don't have an ego. I don't think I do. Uh, my friend Vaughn says he does that, and I know he doesn't. <laughs> but anyway, um, so yeah, we could, uh, so that was, um, that car uh, for me was my last car. And then we took it to the Grand National Roaster Show, and uh, we were fortunate uh, enough to do very well there as well. And then, same story again. Went to I brought the car home. Yep. It sat in the garage, and I thought, now what am I going to do with it? Like I'm, a, I'm, a, I should show the car. I should tour it around. I should, <laughs> so anyway, I got a phone call from a guy in uh, Bettendorf, Iowa, home of American Pickers. Oh, okay. All right. Sure. Anyway, and he said, hey, I saw the car at the Grand National Roaster Show. Uh, what are you doing with it? I said, nothing. <laughs> he said, well, would you consider selling it? And I said, yeah, I'd, I'd sell it. So anyway, he said, look, I'm, uh, I'm pretty busy, uh, but uh, I'll get a hold of you. And this was in February. So in June, he phones me up and he said, hey, I, could I come up and have a look at it? I said, sure. He said, well, I'll book a flight and next thing you know, he shows up here and great guy. And now the home's in the car's so in Bettendorf, Idaho. It, it left with him then. <laughs> yeah. Well, cool. we, we actually uh, had a friend of mine take it down to him. Oh, pretty cool. But, uh, so that was the last car that I built. And, um, the two that are in your shop, why are those the two that stuck? Oh gosh. Um, because you built both of them, but you built so many other ones. And, and so why are those two the ones that you... I think the, the thing about those two cars is they're drivable. They're usable. Mm, okay. They're, they're not overly built. Um, 
you know, you could take them down any road. I took them out where, where uh, you know, you drive around, go where you want to go. Um, the other cars, they were built for a different purpose. Okay. Yep. If you know what I mean. Yep. Like we so, talked about before, they're, they're yeah. built as, as, as automotive art. Yep. Whereas, so you've got a, what are the years of these two up here? There's a three window. Yeah. There's a, there's a 32, a high boy three window. Yep. Or sorry, a 32 high boy roadster. Yep. And then there's a 32 full fendered three window coupe. Oh, 32. So 32s cool. are, are the love of my life. That's them, hey? Um, yeah, my the um, the 32 High Boy is, I guess, is my version of, uh, in the peak of a flathead, mm-hmm. that would be the car. You know, it's got an Eddie Meyer two-pot intake, Eddie Meyer heads, uh, 276 Merc crank. It's just a fun car to drive. It's not a lot of horsepower. It's just got a neat rumpy, rumpy sound. They idle like a little teapot. They don't get hot. And they just, it's just, it's got the look. Well, it looks it's great. It's nasty. It's a nasty looking car. Put it this way. Last summer, you had it on 8th Street for Cruise Weekend, for Show and oh, Shine yeah, Weekend, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't know who it belonged to, but I took an awful lot of pictures of it on my phone. Oh, well, thanks, Jay. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, they're both amazing. They're both really cool. All the custom work is just is just so neat. Like, I, I have a question. I think I know the answer, but you're obviously a custom guy because I get people on this podcast who are car nuts like, you know, like me, like you, but uh, like I would p- put myself into the category. I like, I like original stuff mm-hmm. as my true love. Yep. I love cars and I certainly appreciate the stuff you do because it is absolutely out of this world and the custom thing is, takes certain talent, absolutely. But, have you ever done a just a restoration? Has oh, that yeah. ever been part of what you've done? Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. you bet. So, when I had um, when I had the Okitara store, I bought a '69 um, pace car convertible, oh, numbers cool. matching car, out of New York. And I remember getting the photos, buying it on the internet. And the guy said, "Oh yeah, just it's you know New York act. It's a fresh paint. It's beautiful. You know, just the cost <laughs> so strong. You know, it's beautiful." Anyway, I got a shitty I got a shitty New York accent. <laughs> anyway. And the car has just been painted. So I get it delivered to Minot, North Dakota. I get it home and I strip the car. <laughs> <laughs> it's not good enough. For me. It's not good so enough. So anyway, anyway, I stripped that car, uh, did a complete rebuild on the car. It was a numbers matching, small block. 69 uh, what, sorry? You said uh, pace car, but what, what was pace it? Pace car. Uh, you know, the uh, white, um, uh, orange and black houndstooth interior. Oh, okay. Yep, 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 right? yep, yep. So... Um, built that and they were fun to do. Um, I have to be respectful here with what I say because, um, it wasn't enough of a challenge for me. Okay. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Cause, um, you know, you, you, res- you can get a lot of the parts, uh, reproduction mm-hmm. and there's a lot of parts out there that you can get for them because there's a lot of them built. They weren't terribly low production cars. That's right. Yeah. 3,675 of those. Uh, but I love the car, and that's if you saw the '69 Z28 in the garage. Yeah, that's right. Uh, that is my one of my favorite muscle cars. And then I did another one. I got a phone call from a guy locally here uh, that wanted me to restore one for him. So uh, he uh, there was nothing available locally that we knew at the time. So we flew down, and he had put a deposit on one, um, and uh, went there. Car was misrepresented. Came home and just hunted around. Then I ended up building one for him as well, mm-hmm. and he still has it to this day and dries the wheels off of it, 
we pulled the original motor out of it and built him a 383 stroker for it with a uh, 700R4. And <laughs> just and now you can just have fun with it, right? Not to worry about <laughs> the numbers matching thing. So if you ask me about restored cars, those were two that I uh, have restored. And then uh, when we got into um, uh, becoming partners with uh, uh, a lady, Muffy Bennett was her name, at Barrett Jackson, mm-hmm. uh, we bought a number of restored cars. Um, had an R-Code 68 Mustang, oh, had wow. a 67 Shelby uh, with a Paxson <sighs> supercharger, um, had a, one of my rarest, rarest muscle cars, you never believe it. It was a 57 F-Code retractable convertible. Really? So I didn't F-code, know F-Code, forced this. induction. No, F-Code, supercharged. Yeah, yeah. okay, yes. Because yeah. the Thunderbirds were, there was an F-Code Thunderbird, right? You could get that F-Code option, I didn't know this, oh. in any 57. Really? You could get it in an El Camino. Anything you wanted. You could get it in a four-door. Really? Yep, I did not know that. So that was a pretty rare car for us. Uh, Muffy found that out on the East Coast. No kidding. Yeah, supercar. And the guy was like gorgeous like who bought one of those? Nobody, who basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was a great story on that car. So I do like restored cars. Um, but I think my other genre that I've really fallen in love with is Indian motorcycles. I was just going to get get into that a little bit. Yeah, you've yeah, got, we've, yeah. there's cars in the garage, but there's there's a number of bikes there too. Yeah, so how that started was, you know, cars take up space. <laughs> yeah. And uh, as you know. I, I've got a 19-foot car. It, yeah. It, it fills and, the garage. And, yeah. and an 18-foot garage. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, for me, I my garage fits the cars that I have fine. And if I'm going to put more in, i got to have lifts. And I just didn't want to do that. Yep. And my wife said, you know, I want to try something different. So... Well, I guess I could try something different. And I already had what I was going to do in the back of my mind. <laughs> but the problem is with Indian motorcycles, there's just none around here. I mean, you are not buying an Indian motorcycle mm-hmm. unless you're super connected with somebody who's got one. Yep. And that's not usually in Saskatchewan because they're pretty much all gone. So that was a bit of a challenge to get my first bike. And um, so I think it's been about seven or eight years now for me and I've just really dove into the Indian bikes and for me it's gotten older and older and older uh, I started with a 47 yep. Chief and then my next bike was a 37 Chief rigid uh, everybody remembers the Indians as the skirted iconic yeah sure that was 1940 and newer newer so I've kind of gone older into the pre-war bikes. And it's just, it's one of those things now, it's a its a whole different group of people yep, uh, for the most part. And then it's the research. And I just, I'm a reader. I read and read and read and read and research. So I just, I really enjoy that. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I still love cars. Uh, it's just that I just don't have the love of building them anymore like I used to. Well, you've done so many of them. Yeah, you know, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. it's you've done a ton of them. It, it's a it's a feat in itself. So you, I, one could certainly understand. You know, if you want to take a break from that, I don't know. You'll, maybe maybe you'll someday do one more. Maybe you'll, or you or you've decided that's it. You know, I just there's a I, I do like a thirty nine coupe. Uh, there's something about the lines, not a forty, but a thirty nine. <laughs> um, because I did a 39 convertible. Uh, so I always thought in the back of my mind, mm, 
if I was going to do something, that would maybe be what it would be. But I just keep on finding other Indian projects. So I'm, <laughs> with the uh, with the bikes and with the cars, what's uh, what's your your forte when it comes to working on them? Because you you've obviously got a, a you know connections with people who are doing some of the other parts of the of the restoration or the or, or the customization, right? There's oh absolutely guys, yeah. guys doing yeah. body work yeah. with yeah. you know with you that you're you're working with the design stuff with some of these extreme ones that you've done. What's uh, what's your favorite part of of you know? So, so the process for me, um, and it really wasn't any different in, in, um, in the car thing. Um, and even in housing, because we're home builders as well. Yeah. Um, you have to have a plan. You have to, you have to know what, what it's going to look like before you start it, mm-hmm. or at least I do. So, uh, most times for the car thing, I would start with a rendition. So, okay, what's it going to look like? Right. I mean, the wheels and tires can change, the color can change, but the basic meat and potatoes of the car, I figure that out before I start. What's the theme of the car? Am I going to build a, you know, a, a, a 50s, 60s retro theme? Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. that establishes a lot of things right there. Sure. You know, if you're going to go something more stylized and no different in pro touring or a restored car. Yeah. You know, you're doing a pro touring look. There's not a lot of things that, you know, that you really have to follow. Um, I think the big thing in, in cars is fit and stance. Mm-hmm. To me, that's probably number one and number two. Really? Yeah. The car's got to have the right stance and it's got to, it's, I, you know, I, I like a car that's fitted properly. Right proportions. If it has to be chopped, it's got to have the right sectioning of the chop. And then, of course, color comes into it. And then how everything else ties into the build. Uh, with motorcycles, a little different because now you're restoring them. I'm not a guy who's going to build something like a, like a bobber or a, a chopper. Right. They're, they're cool. Yeah. It's just that that's just not me. Yep. Um, so the bike thing is a little more straightforward. The only problem is, especially with Indians, uh, they started out in 1901 and they ended in 53. And um, they had a very uh, rocky history. Yep. And uh, so, unfortunately... Um, there weren't a lot of bikes produced in certain years and hence very difficult to get parts for. So that's the fun of it. Now you're trying to find out where these parts are, but it still comes down to fit. Finished stance is already set because they're a restoration, but, but yeah, that's, that's kind of the, the details. Thing. Oh yeah. I know for sure. The details. Yeah, yeah that's, absolutely. That's, I, I love that. I love when a, when a restoration on a bike or, or, or a car, you know, yeah. is done down to the very last yeah. Micro detail. I, I, I do enjoy that. So my strengths, uh, I know my strengths and I know my weaknesses. And I have a lot more weaknesses than I have strengths. I'm really good at um, finding the project, mm-hmm. figuring out what I want to build, whether yep. it's a restoration or if it's a hot rod. And I get pretty hyper-focused on, on what it's going to look like. And then... I, I, I've got a good connection for sourcing pieces if I have to get them made. Um, if I have to get metal work done, I've got a, a couple of great guys that do metal work. Yep, yep. I've got a super, two great painters that I can I can refer to. Um, i got a great wiring guy, L. Elworthy. can't even talk. L. Elworthy has done all my cars. Cool. Uh, and um, so, yeah, the upholstery thing, I've used... Uh, uh, a couple guys out of Southern California. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's those guys are out there. Um, 
And then what I do is I get everything blown apart. I get everything cleaned if we're using an original body, yep. which in most, most cases we are. Um, you know, I'll get, you know, the body media blasted, metal prepped, cleaned, so that when I give it to whoever is going to do anything with it, that's already done for him. He knows the sins already, or he can see them. Um, and then uh, I've got a, a good plating company yeah. uh, that we use. And as far as the motors go, uh, I pretty much do all the motors. Orly, who used to work for me, used to do my motors, uh, he and I together. Um, and Orly was, Orly was a phenomenal guy. He's a Red Deer Speed custom now in Red Deer. Um, so that was nice back in the day to have Orly around. So so I guess... And then final final assembly. Is you? Always me. Yeah. yeah. So you're, yeah. you're you're turning a lot of wrenches. Oh, no, right? for sure. All you know, the time. Like yeah. you're doing all yeah. that stuff, right? Yeah, and then blasting, media blasting on the bikes. I mean, I do all that stuff. That's all yourself. I just basically yeah. just get a guy to do all my machine work on the motor. Yep. And I got a guy that does uh, some metal work and some paint. and That's pretty phenomenal. Yeah. So it's it's fun. And it's for me now, it's manageable. Mm-hmm. I don't have to bend down. Like <laughs> the I bike's did. on a lift, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> my back is so screwed. But, uh, so yeah, that's my story, I guess, of of, uh, of cars and the people involved. And, and, you know, I think it's very important to, to give thanks and credit to, to, to people that, uh, that help you on projects. Yeah. And uh, my painter is Rob Novakowski. Mm-hmm. Uh, Robbie is just a phenomenal painter over at Midwest Model. Yep. He's done all my bikes. Cool. Probably 90% of my car stuff. Byron's done two of them. Um, and then Byron for metal fabrication. Uh, nobody better. Jesse out there as well. Those guys are just phenomenal. Uh, L really, like I said, for wiring. Mm-hmm. Um, and then local machine shops, Precise Automotive. I use locally here for my machine work. Uh, whether it's motorcycles or my engines. And you try to just let those guys do their thing. Uh, Chroming is House of Silver in Winnipeg. Cool. So those are my guys. Those are my connections. And then I just kind of fill in the pieces. There is one guy I want to mention that I just forgot about. Oh, sure, yeah. Neil Ramsey. Mm, Okay. Neil Ramsey, for most of you who are listening to the podcast, um, was a big part of building a number of my cars and doing the body work for many, many, many years. And uh, Neil is a very good friend of mine, and I want to make sure that I never forgot about Neil because I just about did. <laughs> but Neil probably did half of those cars, if not more, the bodywork on them. And uh, he is a phenomenally talented individual. So Neil, sorry, I just about forgot about you, but <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. Because Donna would kill me if I forgot about him. <laughs> anyway. Well, uh, you know, Wayne, this has been phenomenal having you on the podcast. Thank you for joining me. This, oh, is, this has been great sharing all the stories and everything. And, and I hope we'll see some of your cars out on the road, you know, this summer, maybe yeah, here for and there, sure. right? Yeah, or some motorcycles for sure. Yeah, we'll see that too, right? You bet, you bet. And the other thing I want to just mention quickly is uh, when I mentioned my brother was a member of the Dragons Car Club, uh, I know that the Dragons haven't had car shows. It's been tough for yeah, them yeah. with COVID. But that is a club that for, I think this is the 60th anniversary, is it? That's right. Not? Yep, it is. Coming up here, and yep. I believe they're going to be having a show. Uh, I just want to make sure that everybody recognizes what the Dragons Car Club mm-hmm. has done for this community, um, for Camp Easter Seal, and for all those kids. Um, they have just tirelessly over the years, every year until COVID hit, have always had their car show, and that is their primary fundraiser. So I just want to say uh Thanks to all the Dragons members and uh, hope to see you at the car show and, uh, 
in uh, 2022, I guess. Yeah, that's yeah. right. I'm yeah. really hoping. Yeah. I'm really hoping that it happens. Cross our fingers that it's gonna, you know, that everything's gonna stick the way it does. And I do have one more plug. Sure, go for it. Pegasus. Yes, I was. I was going to ask you about yeah, this. Yeah, we forgot about Pegasus, but anyway, uh, I was fortunate enough to um, uh, be co-chairman again with Vaughn Wyatt and the same group of guys uh, that was involved in the Snake Pit project. It's been an unbelievable experience. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with COVID, you know, you you think uh, uh, you think of adversity and how we're going to get around this, and the group of people that I have been fortunate to be involved with on this project is is simply unbelievable so now the car has been at SEMA uh, it was very well received there it was yep. in the four booth again for the whole week um, and now the car is in Scottsdale and uh, when's the auction what's auction the date is so the car is going to go across the block on Friday January 28th um, you'll see it posted on the shifters site and uh, some other sites as well yep, that's right uh, we're just uh, finalizing the time um, so yeah, just uh, if you're going to be watching Barrett Jackson, tune in and uh, cheer for Saskatchewan, cheer for all yeah. the guys that made that car possible, cheer for Byron and his team uh, that made that happen, and uh, uh, Josh Rieger and his uh, dad uh, who did the interior, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Ron Rieger, uh, the vehicle, and IMM for all the machine work and all the sponsors that we had for that car. So. Yeah, I just want to give a shout out to uh, to that project and absolutely uh, getting close. Absolutely, and if you want to actually hear more about the Pegasus project, I, I did uh, talk to Vaughn Wyant in a previous podcast. If you look where, wherever you found this one, you're going to find uh, that one with Vaughn as well, and he gives us some more details on the Pegasus project and and how it all came together as well. So yeah, he's much more out. he's much more eloquent than I am. So <laughs> well, uh, Wayne, this has been phenomenal having you on the podcast. Thank you for joining me. It's it's been a pleasure. Thanks, Jay. Yeah, you bet, Wayne Halliburton my guest today thank you for listening to ball tires presented by shield coatings we really appreciate you joining us we're going to bring you as much as we can in 2022 thanks for listening to ball tires because when you make great memories you make ball tires ball tires is a proud member of the saskatchewan podcast network the saskatchewan podcast network is supported by connexus connexus credit union is all about their members Improving their financial well-being drives everything they do. And that's not just something they say. It's a promise that's delivered by over 900 employees across Saskatchewan. Their employees are members too, and they've been there. So they're committed to making your money work for you. The banking industry needs to change, and Connexus is changing it for everyone because Connexus cares. Visit Connexus.ca to learn more. The Saskatchewan Podcast Network is also supported by Direct West. Are you a business owner looking for new avenues to promote your business? Direct West's digital billboards are a great opportunity to highlight a new product, new promotion, or anything else you'd like your customers to know about. You can get local expert marketing help for your business at directwest.com.